Yeah, welcome back to another episode of KOTL Six Pack Lapidat, and this time I got my man Paul Marinzan in the recording booth with me. How you doing, sir? Doing well. A little bit tired today, but uh, hot as a motherfucker today. It's also extremely <laughs> hot in this booth. I got uh, we got no fans, no AC. Getting it out. Um, I would like to point out that we're both cutting, and I feel like this is planned. Yeah, no shit, eh? It is seriously like a sauna in here. Downing the coffees, which isn't helping. And um, <clears throat> you had quite the, the romp last night, sir. I did. I was out till rather late. It was... Uh, 35, partying like you're 25. Whoa, whoa. I'm 34 still. <laughs> partying, like I'm 20, you look, partying like I'm 24. Woke up today looking like you're 35. I have... Put that you're too kind, actually. Age the year already in one night. Yeah. But you were saying how, because you weren't drinking, you feel a way better. You're tired, but not. Yeah. And this is why I were to say before, um, eight weeks out, like we got to cut for weight. So in terms of booze, amount of calories and booze is crazy. It's the easiest thing I can possibly cut. Yeah. Or anybody to cut. Anybody yeah. cut, unless it, you don't drink, in which case. Not only, with, in which case I don't trust you. Yeah, exactly. I'm in not, which I'm case, not talking to you anywhere. In which case, what the fuck is your deal? Yeah. I don't trust you. But in terms of uh, calories, like I log because I got the fitness pal and I, and I got to. Now, some people are so anti fucking fitness pal, stupid. Well, you obviously don't cut. Or you're in a fed where it's not that competitive. Yeah. You don't got to worry about cutting. You gotta cut. It's it's hard to just blindly cut. It's not. Sometimes you're right on the fucking wire. It takes that fine fine tune. Yeah. No. I mean, I'm what six, seven weeks out, so I'm not logging yet. I'm seeing. I'm giving myself a week to see where my body kind of regulates after dropping alcohol and kind of keep my diet a little bit more. We'll say clean. Mm -hmm. A little bit less ice cream. A little bit less desserts. Yeah. And then we'll but, see what goes. But if you do log, if you put in beer. Holy shit, you can drink. Like, if I get drunk, yeah. and listen, 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 I fucking drink a lot to get drunk. I can fucking pack it away, my friend. <laughs> First of all, I drink with you, and I know that's not true. It's like, yeah. it's like, it's like two drinks. Hey, hey, sometimes I'm not on my A game. But um, if you pack, if it's beer, holy shit, the amount of calories. Oh. You, could, you could do like 2,000 calories in booze. And then once you're drunk, you're gonna bitch out the winter. You're like, let's get. Oh yeah, and then let's get exactly. And then you're binging. Kathleen last night, and she's uh, she fucking listens to this. She's gonna be upset, but fuck it. Um, fucking gets drunk, orders a pizza at like it's like twelve thirty at night. You are never gonna see this, this pizza. This is the problem with skip the dishes <laughs> and everything else that enables you to be able. Yes. to... It's it's the drunk dialing. Uh, basically, it's your it's drunk, drunk dialing. texting. Yeah, it's yeah. Drunk, drunk texting and yeah. X. Yeah, it's worse. It's the worst I it's can worse possibly do. The money is flying out the fucking window. Exactly. Every time she gets drunk now, and she's done before. By the time the pizza comes, she's and, already passed. And even that. better is gone to the days when you have to actually like type in a code or something like that, where you have to give a credit. No, no, your credit card is yeah. stored. Yeah. All you have to do is be able to actually somehow get your fingerprint yeah. on the reader. Chubby little drunken and thumb. You can do every single angle you can possibly cover, right. so you're never gonna not read. Yeah, and I know that because yeah. I'm a drunk eater. Yeah, yeah, we all are. So, um, yeah, man, there's a lot of fun. Like, tonight, I'm getting drunk with the fellas. There's a stag night. I just logged my goddamn beer, and I'm like, holy shit, I can have, like, two pieces of chicken today to stay under my macros. Yeah. It's rough, man. Um, especially, like, I've obviously lived the life for a while, so I'm uh, we, we can tell. I'm floating around. Well, I'm glad it's a podcast now, not video. It's, but, um, but no, I'm not the saying, camera has 10 pounds in the uh, video, sir. I got about three cameras on me. You, I am not six-pack Lapidat. I am fat-pack Lapidat. Maybe right six-chin Lapidat. I am right now floating around 200 pounds, which is like, 
how many is that kilo? 91 kilo? Yeah. 91 kilo? Yeah, about that. And I'm an 83 kilo lifter. I like to get her on 191 pounds, which is whatever the fuck kilo. Oh, well, it's like I'm... 87, 88? I'm floating around 80 kilo and have to get down to 74. So yeah. it's... So anyways, the booze... So so yeah, back to the point. I'm kind of swaying here. Yeah. Around eight weeks out, I kind of booze. And not only does it help in terms of making your uh, your weight, um, it's it's huge for like actually feeling the next day when you feel like shit and you're partying and you go to the gym the next day, everything's out the window. You got two days if you do it oh. two nights of the week. The nights where I'm going out, you know, two three times. I mean, again, I apparently I like to think that I'm a rock star in the yeah. summer and it just twenties. Yeah, you gotta live your life. Yeah, I'm seeing like a fifty pound swing on certain. Or, yeah, we'll see, a, a twenty five kilo swing. Easy. I could just be getting, I could like just be showing up yeah. and like everything's out the window. In terms of all my ambitious numbers are all out the window. I'm in just terms of your numbers, in terms of the way you feel, yeah. in terms of your body's it, recovery, in it, terms it, of it impacts your central nervous system as well, even beyond just that. So if you do constantly, regularly, every weekend, drunk two nights of the two yeah. nights, it it definitely impacts it. So leading into a meet, if you gotta cut. Yeah. That's the easiest cut, cause cause those calories are doing nothing for you. At least if you have like pasta, oh, it spikes your insulin, does all this, but you're still getting carbs to use. Whereas booze, you get nothing. Although there was one study where it, I think it don't was, give this to me, cause I'm a fuck. Oh no, this, don't give this, this to one, me, cause this you know, one is just for you. I'll drink every night. It don't. was, I believe, Cambridge University in the UK. Oh bless them. Oh bless where Cambridge. they proved gin actually ups your metabolism. Get the fuck out of here. So gin can be used to cut. I didn't need to hear that. That's I know I know your weakness, and that's why I'm telling you this. It ups your metabolism? To a certain point, it ups your metabolism. How the fuck? You know everybody listening is like, I go to fucking drink gin. I go to drink gin now. That's why I was drinking gin. So how much because there's empty calories with it? There is empty calories, and I'm not sure if it's actually the point where it's, you know, it's gonna aid you to cut you're not gonna, you know, it's not gonna be aiding a water cut or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, apparently it spikes your metabolism to a certain point. So I can't remember bitch. how much. I don't. But yeah. it's. I gotta read into this, or I should. It's, I probably wouldn't fire you. Because <laughs> it's not. I was gonna say it's an enabling yeah. fucking but the gin may up your metabolism. And this was sponsored, of course, by Bombay Gin. Yeah, of course. That's the thing with these studies, man. Everybody's got like you can prove anything basically, right? Yeah. There's so many variables that you can use. But, um, Not to yeah. mention that the UK is one of the biggest world, the world's biggest producer of gin. Oh, so wow! It's, Who saw that coming? It, I right? <laughs> Who would have saw that coming? It's like fucking the the Italian government saying pizza and pasta ups your metabolism. No offense. Hashtag no racist again. Paul Marin's in the Mariner. I believe it's marinara. You like to call me <laughs> Paul Marinara. If you want to go really down that route, that's right. <laughs> but uh, but anyways, speaking of cutting. We have possibly the largest 83 kilo lifter I've ever fucking seen. How about yourself, man? This guy's absolutely huge. And he's, you know it's funny. So I post videos of this guy on King of the Lifts um, saying, like, he's jacked to shit. The guy looks like a bodybuilder. I and I say, look at this fucking fatty. Please. Oh, yeah. We, you, no, start, you started no, a fat shaming trend of this. No before, fat shaming Yeah. And then everybody's like, no, not everybody. Most people get it. But some people are like, are you being serious, bro? Are you crazy? This guy's jacked. It's like, no, shit, he's jacked, man. <laughs> Jesus. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, so we crazy. don't always have, God bless the powerlifting community, but some of us are not. I think, I think most, it's social media, period. Yeah. Some people, it's like, how do you not, how is that lost in translation? I get it with 
text. Sometimes you don't get sarcasm, but the guy is fucking jacked. He's fucking he, jacked. He looks like a 93 kilo lifter is, at the very yeah. least. Like a yeah. jacked 93. Like he has jacked to, he has to, cut to hit 93. Thing. Huge, and, bodied up kid. And if you told me it was a large cut from him to hit 93, I would believe it. I believe it. Yeah, for sure. Because it's not like he's even a short dude. Like, he's yeah. not like one of those short jacks. Yeah, and it's not even, look at, no. I've seen him in a singlet. The, the kid's fucking put together, okay? Wink, wink. Okay, so he's a big fucking 93 kid. I mean, I was just watching the videos. There's no hey, wink. There's no wink necessary. Watch your fucking girl around him is all I'm saying. If if your girl's going to moves, oh, just a friend. And if you're a girl, and if, and if you're a girl, watch your guy around him. <laughs> hey, let me tell you, I got 10 beers in me. Watch me around this fucking kid, okay? The guy's all types of put together. This is the dude, your girl's like, ah, oh, I'm going to a movie with a friend, and then you fucking see a picture, no. and you see a picture of him in a singlet, and you're like, oh, hell fucking hell. No, yeah, no. You, you show up three rows behind, and you're watching, <laughs> you're right. watching wearing sunglasses hey. in a dark theater, just to make she sure. She needs to go to the washroom, and you're like, hey, Mr. Big Piece. Hey, Mr. Big Piece. And he, and guess what? He turns back, because he knows you're talking to him. Yeah. In a dark fucking and you know theater room. He knows, yeah, I'm Mr. Big Piece. And nobody What's around up? You, and nobody around you is looking like, who's this cocky mother? Like, <laughs> they, they get it. They all look, they're like, oh shit, is that your yeah. girl with this guy? You're in trouble. The guy with the fucking abs, veins through his traps, and a piece like he's a child holding a fucking apple, and that's her best friend? You're in trouble, man. You're in trouble. But anyways. Um, let's fucking ring this kid and see what he's, what he's doing. He can maybe part himself from the three fucking 20-year-old dime pieces he's with. Yep. Long enough to give us Still movie. celebrating his Still world title. celebrating his world title like Dan Bub fucking Zarian, I'm sure. Let's, let's give this guy a ring. And we have ourselves IPF 83-kilo junior world champion, Charlie Dixon. Yep. How you doing, sir? Doing good. Thanks for having me. How does it feel being an IPF world champion? It feels incredible, man. It's uh, it's been a long journey uh, to get to that point. Uh, I started powerlifting uh, in 2014 when I first uh, got to college, and you know that was always my main goal. I got into the sport uh, through uh, Johnny Candido's channel. No um, shit. Okay. Everybody, you know, you know, said that about Johnny Candido. When I was doing the IPF commentary. Um, I had said like, uh, I think, I think it was Joe Stanek was my co and he's like, man, I'm telling you, one of the biggest pushers was IPF going raw and Johnny Candido. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. really? Yeah. Like, 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 but for real, almost like the last three people who came on was like, and Johnny Candido was a major pusher. I was yeah. like, oh shit. God bless Johnny <laughs> Candido. Absolutely, man. Uh, his channel really got me into it. Uh, exposed me to the sport and, uh, you know, I, when I played uh, football and wrestling, I always thought like it would be awesome if there was a sport to where you could just train or like see who's the strongest. Yeah. I've always enjoyed the training aspect. Um, and then I, I got to college. I, I didn't really plan on you know wrestling or competing in any collegiate sports. And then uh, his channel introduced me to powerlifting, and I just hopped on, man. And ever since then, I've always wanted to uh, become an IPL world champion. So. So when you were coming up as a kid, um, and you got brothers, you're saying, right? Yep. So yep how, two older brothers. Two older brothers. So how big? Yeah. Tell me about your family dynamics. A. How big are your older brothers? Everyone's probably gonna want to know. <laughs> are they strong? And um, how are you guys like growing up? Yeah. So they're they're both pretty strong. My oldest one, he's uh, 17 years older than me. And then, Holy uh, shit! Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then my other one is seven years older than me. So, um, they were both in the military 
Jesse is the one who's 17 years older. He uh, he joined the Air Force right around the time I was born, so we didn't really get to see each other much growing up. But uh, Steven, my other one, he he basically raised me, man. Um, you know, we grew up watching like the Rocky movies, watching WWE, like Stone Cold, The Rock, and we used to just wrestle, and he used to beat the crap out of me all the time. Um, it was great. But uh, I think, yeah, just growing up, you know, in that household, like, I don't know, it was always doing something active, and, um, you know, we would do, like, push-ups and set-ups with uh, the Eye of the Tiger on the, the TV and all that. It was great. Oh, no, shit. So, so you were, um, was your, so your older brothers, were they into sports as well? Yeah, yeah. So they both uh, played football and uh, wrestled. And uh, Steve and I really looked up to him in a lot of ways. You know, he was uh, like the star running back in high school. And I can remember going to the games and watching him. He's doing like front flips over the goal line into the end zone and shit. And I, I'm just blown away. And he's always inspired me. I've always wanted to be like my older brother. So I think that's how I kind of gravitated towards uh, sports and lifting and uh, those sorts of things. So it was, he was kind of like an older brother, but kind of like an uncle at the same time. The one who was 17 years older than you? The one who's seven years older than me. Seven years older, okay. And yeah, what, yeah. What, what about the one that's like 17 years older? Is he more like an uncle type, or how often like was he around? Because that's a huge age gap. Yeah, yeah. He, he was more like an uncle type. It was always uh, nice when he would come in. Uh, we would catch up. Um, I'm actually, I actually live with him now and his family. Um, so it's it's been nice to kind of catch up on lost time, but uh, yeah, man, he was uh, he, he was the same way. He was he was a heck of an athlete yeah. in high school, and uh, of course, he went to the Air Force. He was in there for twenty years, so um, always looked up to him as well. So mm -hmm. um, I was very fortunate to grow up with two older brothers who kind of set me straight and set me on the right path. So. Yeah. So what do they think now that you're a world champ? Like, do you get some bragging rights over them? Yeah, we're like, hey, you guys did good. You were a high I school. I did a little better. You were a high school, but <laughs> you, <laughs> you passed the baton. I ran that shit down yeah. the, right past the finish line. <laughs> oh, man. You see, so my uh, Steven, the one who's seven years older, he was, uh, at my age, he was a Green Beret. So oh, okay. uh, yeah, yeah, you might yeah. not run your mouth too much then. You might, you might slow down <laughs> yeah. a little bit. Yeah, you may have been a Green Beret, exactly. but he's still not a world champion. That's right. Well, well. yeah. Yeah, so it's, uh, no, they, they're awesome, man. They were always very supportive. And, uh, you know, I, I, I've drew, drawn a lot of inspiration from them uh, in my own training. And uh, I still do to this day. So, so it's been awesome. How did you get into, um, so what age did you start training and doing football in terms of uh, wrestling and football? What age was that? Uh, 12 years old. Oh, shit. So, and, and yes. wrestling, for some people who listen, wrestling in the States is huge. Um, what state are you from? Virginia. Virginia. Is wrestling really big in Virginia? I would say it's, uh, it's not as big as places like Ohio or Pennsylvania up north, um, but it's, it's relatively big. There's definitely some uh, uh, great schools for wrestling in Virginia, so yeah. I would say it's kind of in the middle. And how competitive were you when you started like wrestling and football? Were you very into it, or was it more like a pastime for you? Uh, no, I was, anything I've done, man, I've always been all in. And uh, wrestling, um, I, I was... I think I started wrestling actually. I was uh, probably like seven or eight. Uh, I'm just going to like open mats and things. And uh, my freshman year, I was uh, 32 and one. 
Holy and I actually didn't go to I couldn't go to states that year because uh, I actually tore my meniscus in the region finals match, so I had to have surgery. But uh, yeah, I was I was 103 pounds at the time, so I was a pretty pretty small guy. 103, <laughs> dude, you would arm curl that for reps. Yeah. Holy shit! <laughs> no kidding. So how far did you end up going in wrestling, or did you stop not long after you got injured? Uh, so the injury is actually what really sparked my uh, fire to for training, uh, for rehab, and to like get back into it. So after that happened, after I got the surgery, I basically started rehabbing myself uh, during that spring and summer. Uh, my mom had like a total gym at the time, so I was at home always doing like single leg squats and just you know getting after it whenever I could, and then uh, going into the weight room trying to read more articles online through uh, like bodybuilding.com and uh, that's when I really got into weight training a lot more and I think that really helped so the following year I went from 103 pounds to 125 pounds and uh, senior year I wrestled at 152 Um, yeah and how tall are you I am 5'11 well you're 83 kilo too because you so how much weight would you cut um, for wrestling because wrestlers have a crazy reputation for cutting massive weight. And it's two hour yeah. Is it a two hour weigh for wrestling as well? Yep, two, sometimes one hour. It just kind of depends. You know, if you weigh in late and the tournament starts at like 10 p.m., you might weigh in at like, or 10 a.m., you might weigh in at like 9, 9 a.m. and have to step on the mat. Um, so I, I was always really used to cutting weight. I cut weight my entire high school career. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the most I cut was probably my senior year I cut from like 165 down to 152 that's a big that's cut a, for a two hour yeah so that's how, a big percentage yeah how did you learn how to weight cut when you're that young because a lot of people don't do it properly right and obviously you've been around the block for weight cutting I, I definitely didn't do it properly um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I learned the hard way man it was one of those things because it's not like with powerlifting where there's one date to where you have to cut weight it's week after week you know with the tournaments and the different meets so at the beginning of the season i was around 165 and then uh i'd say towards the end i would set around 157 158 but it was mainly just after you compete on that saturday i would eat pretty much everything yeah um until about monday and then start cutting back and then literally just kind of stop eating and stop drinking water which is absolutely terrible yeah it's like like the worst thing you can do for yourself yeah 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 but yeah absolutely how hard is it like it's hard for me to wrap my head around being like cutting week after week like that in like how long is a wrestling season is it the entire school season uh so wrestling it typically lasts anywhere from three to four months depending on if you make it to regions and states and things like that yeah. Um, but man, wrestling just as far as mindset and attitude, like it's taught me so much about how to be disciplined and you know how to grind grind things out. And uh, you know the weight cutting process definitely uh, made me stronger in a lot of ways because it's it's tough to you know put on a trash bag or get in a sauna. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not eat or drink. It's uh, Cons- it definitely like tests you. The discipline at that age. Yeah, like it's that's insane to have that sort of discipline at that age. But yeah, how did that affect your training for wrestling? Like yeah, if you're cutting week after week after week. 
Oh, I with uh, training during the season, I would go in before school, and uh, I think I was doing one letter five three one at the time. So uh, it was really low volume uh, strength training. So just trying to maintain as much as I could during the season. Uh, of course, my numbers would go down a little bit, mm-hmm. um, but at that point, it's just trying to maintain and uh, do the best you can in practice. And how um, good were your numbers in wrestling? Like, were you still a beast? Like, relatively speaking, I know you were a lot smaller at the time, but were you always a stronger guy when you stepped on the mat and enjoyed that physical advantage? Yeah, yeah, for the most part. There were a few guys who were just insanely strong and would throw me around, but for the most part, um, I, I was I felt a lot stronger than most of the guys I was wrestling. Um, yeah. It, yeah. In terms of, like, how would you compare? See, the thing with wrestling, it, you stare across the mat against the other guy, and the night before, you know, you got to literally lock horns with another guy who's trained as hard as you, wants it as much as you, and, and you literally lock horns with this guy and start throwing each other around. Whereas powerlifting, you just step on the platform. Everybody's got their own time on the platform. You don't see who you're competing against. When he's done, he exits the platform. You come up and you go, how different is it to have to step on the mat in the night before, the week before, knowing you got, you got some rumbles coming? It's, it's a lot different, man. Um, especially when you're, you're going up against the stud. Like, uh, you know, you, get, you start preparing for, like, the state tournament. That's always the big one. At the end of the season, you, the brackets come out early in the week. Um, so you kind of see what side of the bracket you're on, what guys you may be matched up against. And, you know, it's early on in my wrestling career that used to, like, freak me out a little bit. I used to get really nervous and anxious. And as I got more experience with it, it was one of those things to where it doesn't matter who I'm wrestling. It doesn't matter who's on the other side of the mat. I'm going to go out there and control and do what I know how to do. And it's really you against you, even in wrestling, if that makes any sense. If you can control your mind, control your emotions, and stay in the moment and wrestle your match, then that's more than half the battle right there. Because a lot of guys in wrestling, they'll go out there and mentally, they'll, they'll, they'll already be broken before they even step out there. And if you can master that aspect, then you'll go a long way. Mm-hmm. And I think I was able to kind of carry that same mindset into powerlifting um, and just kind of focusing on my own process and carrying that same aggression and that mentality from wrestling into my own training mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's interesting because they say, like, I, if ever you read some of these books and some of these, like, strength coaches and, and mental strength coaches where they say, like, there's a lot of variables in life, but one variable that no matter what nobody can impact is your effort, right? So... You could, you could try to like intimidate somebody, but that, you have to relinquish to that person if they're trying to intimidate you, your effort. You can still give 100%. Or if they intimidate you, the moment intimidates you, and you, you pull back a little bit, but that's your decision. So you, it's yeah. all up to you. So if you just focus, I'm going to do what I got to do, and all the other variables I have no control over. So if you focus on those too much, that's when you start creating anxiety because yeah. it's out of your control. So when you think about shit that is not in your control, and that's everything in life, it focuses on shit yeah. in your control, anxiety well, comes. Exactly, like you have to be able to focus, as you mentioned, like just on executing your plan, yeah. what you can do in a given moment. Like you, mm-hmm. that's the yeah. only way you can ever actually really see where the potential is. With pretty much anything, yeah, actually wrestling would be a pretty good transition for powerlifting, because it's like the extreme, 
teaching you because if you don't settle that shit real quick, you're not going to make it. You know, you, you, you yeah. get tossed around and get, and get humiliated in front of a bunch of people showed up. So transition, so when you were doing wrestling, were you already doing bench press, squat, and deadlift, or like the 531 program? I believe they have overhead press, or, or what was that? Mm -hmm. What were you doing for that? Yeah, so 531, it's uh, squat, bench, deadlift, overhead press. Um, and I was doing that, I think, my uh, senior year um, of high school is when I started that. So earlier on, after I had the uh, knee surgery, my freshman year, that's when I went to bodybuilding.com and I was like down, uh, downloaded one of those, you know, general like hypertrophy bodybuilding templates. And I just started doing that, man. And I put on a lot of weight, a lot of muscle. Yeah. Um, like yeah. I said, I went from 103 to 125 pounds. And uh, I just kind of, you know, fell in love with the training. And I, uh, I can't remember exactly what programs I ran. Um, it was a lot of high volume type of stuff because I really liked, you know, that physical exertion and pushing your own mental barriers. Mm -hmm. um, so there was a lot of like CrossFit style workouts too where, you know, I would do like hill sprints, uh, me and my buddy, we would like piggyback each other up this like super steep hill and uh, do circuits and things like that. So it was just a lot of training. Uh, I got a lot of exposure to a bunch of different things. but. Um, as I got more educated and things, uh, my senior year I started doing 531 because I wanted to be able to maintain my strength without putting on as much muscle mass yeah. uh, so I could stay close to my weight class. Um, and I would do that usually, you know, before I would go to school and then, of course, I have wrestling practice uh, after school. Um, and, yeah, after, after I finished wrestling, um, I just started – Soon after that, I started running Johnny Candido's six-week powerlifting program. Mm -hmm. And uh, I ran that probably back-to-back -back three or four times without ever taking a deload. Yeah. And uh, deloads I made up. Nobody takes deloads when they're in their <laughs> when they're early Absolutely, man. I was just a fired-up kid, just ready to trade, ready to get after it. You know, I was like, I don't need a deload. Overtraining doesn't exist or yeah, whatever. Yeah, that's all that, that was my yep. mindset at yeah. the time. And uh, you do that for a while, you soon realize like your body has limitations. Yeah. Um, and I, I ran into injuries and things, but uh, definitely allowed me to learn a lot more when I would experience like a strain or a sit back in training. So um, that was a lot right there, I'll let you guess. Were you, uh, so we're getting into the power of the thing. Right before we transition to that, and I think you've got a question there, yeah. but right before we get into that, um, one thing I want to ask you, so when you were weightlifting and it was to help your wrestling, I know with like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which is like a grappling sport as well, they're very much, it's interesting to me because wrestlers have always been pro weightlifting, okay? In a lot of sports, football, pro weightlifting, but there's some sports where they think, like, like I, I train some hockey players, their attitude is if you weightlift, you lose explosiveness, you lose agility, you slow down, and then Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu guys, because I do a little Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu as well, they're like, no, it slows you down. You become, the more muscle mass makes you tired more, which wrestlers got tournaments like a motherfucker all the time. And they think like, it's just total opposite. There's so much taboo around weightlifting. Whereas two grappling sports and weightlift and wrestlers love weightlifting and are explosive. And D1 wrestler, I put a D1 wrestler athletically against any Brazilian Jiu Jitsu guy you know. And it's weird, the concepts, how they view weightlifting 
um, and it's taboo. I don't get it. If do you like, if you went across that, where you ever talk to someone like grapplers from other grappling sports, where you're like, I don't see where you're coming from. Absolutely, man. I always got a lot of pushback from that. Um, when I would go in and, you know, I was putting on muscle mass, doing like strength training. It's like, uh, some of my uh, teammates were like, why are you doing that, man? You're just gonna, you know, you're gonna tire out, you're gonna get gassed. And um, I, I never, I never really paid attention to it. I, I thought, you know, I thought I was able to perform better through the strength training and also did like some plyometric work. And I think if you periodize things properly and you do it the right way, uh, so you focus on hypertrophy in like your off season, if you're gonna change weight classes, uh, if you want to go down a weight class, you make your body composition changes there. Uh, then you start doing your strength training and then as the season approaches, you start maybe doing some power training, explosive type of stuff. And uh, I think it can help performance. I don't think. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's the thing, like with powerlifting, um, powerlifters have mastered the art of weight training without necessarily putting on a lot of weight. Like you could impact your nervous system if you like, depending on your program, get stronger and you don't have to go up a weight class. With RPE, you don't have to be super beat up because you're always within appropriate range. So if you want to lower the RPEs, get a lot of volume in there, your, your body's used to moving weight. And what some people don't realize as well is, um, like just obviously for we're turning this into a fucking grappling podcast for yep. a second here, but bear, bear with me. It's not the end of the grappling. <laughs> That's right. It's like we're, we'll get into USC discussion and your predictions yep. for the next fight in a second. But um, <laughs> but uh, if you can move, um, let's say like 650 pound deadlift, and you're moving 650 pounds, when it comes down to 200 pounds, it doesn't tax you very much to move 200 pound person around as much. Like it's a lot easier. I know when I grapple, people are like. Well, you got good stamina for a big guy or like, you know, it doesn't take much to to move around on a guy your size, but it almost doesn't to move to deadlift two plates almost doesn't even register. When you're a guy as strong as yourself, yeah. for instance, two plates will not fucking register. If I told you, Charlie, I want you to sit here and deadlift two plates, I'll give you, you know, after you've done a set of 20, I'll give you a minute interval. How long are we going to stay there until you gas up? You'd be like, well, listen, fucking cancel your meetings for the rest of the day, clear up. Clear up tomorrow, and we're gonna be here for a while, my man. So, I don't think some people are starting to get it. Yeah. Well, I mean, but, like I said, like if you're moving 500 for 10 reps, moving a 200 pound guy, like, it's a joke. It's a yeah, and it's joke. putting you so far ahead of that mm -hmm. person that doesn't train that way. I had a guy, if I get humble wow. brag for a second, so I did um, at one point. So he was doing like two plates for reps, and he's like, "How many? How many times do you think you can rep two plates?" And he was asking me, "This is deadlift, for God's sake, not bench. Bench will be a lot, but." Deadlift. And I was like, listen, man, I'm not trying to hurt. And this is a big dude, juiced up dude, okay? And yeah. He, but he's like a personal training dude. And he set a goal to do two plates for as many reps as he could. And I'm like, listen, man, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings or nothing. But if we're talking touch and go, I did 550 for 10. And I think my girlfriend could probably take two plates for fucking like, well, like around 30. Yeah. Okay? And he's like, what the fuck? Because he was, he was training two plates. He was doing, every time he went to the gym, he was doing two plates for as many reps as he could, thinking that's how he increases his quote-unquote cardio for moving. When I said, think about this, here's another way to wrap your head around it. Move your one rep max, and then when you go, and, and this is moving your one rep max, doing triples and doubles, and that will increase your, your ability to move two plates because it doesn't even fucking register for you. Like, I was like, to be honest, dude, if you ask me deadlift two plates, I got no idea. It's like, you can't even think about that, right? But you're trying to not hurt his feelings when you're telling him, dude, you should probably work yeah. out with my girlfriend right now, <laughs> right? 
But um, yeah, man. So did yeah. you even feel that with uh, wrestling as well? Were, were even wrestlers even a little naive to that? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think a lot of them shied away from the weight room just because they didn't want to get, you know, bulkier and let it ruin their cardio or something like that. Yeah. And it's actually funny, funny you mentioned the 225 thing. I used to do that on the squat a lot. So I would do, like, my strength work, and then I would back down to 225 and try to do it for, like, 20 or 30 reps. Uh, oh, that just reminded me of that. But th- those are always fun. I always liked uh, that type of – that type of training where it really pushes you mentally yeah. and you have to grind through it. Yeah. And I think just those little things too carry over onto the mat, right? Like where you never quit. Yeah. And I think you can train that. You can train that in the weight room. You can train that in your daily life. Um, you just have to be aware of it and see those opportunities. Well, yeah, if you're doing 225 for 25 and 30 reps and stuff like that, like you're pushing through a little bit of pain there. There's something about, yeah. like, like there, there's an old quote saying, fatigue makes cowards of us all. And that's true. Yep. Like, it's cool to be brave when everything's rolling good, but cut 15 fucking pounds and then be tired as shit. And you're dog tired, look across the mat, and this guy looks fresh. And now you gotta go. You know, it's yeah, man. why people quit. And if you haven't been there, like, experience helps, you know, with everything. When you're tired and you've been tired and got through it, it's nowhere near as scary when it finally happens to you. Yes, yeah. and the more experience you get with it, you know, the better you get at handling it. And I've gotten my ass kicked so many times, man. Everyone has a breaking point. I've been broken quite a few times, and it's it sucks, man. But you know, like you said, fatigue. Yeah. When when you get fatigued, it'll make a coward out of, out of you real quick. So. And here's the thing. So you've been broken before, but you hop back out there and keep doing it anyways. Where a lot of people will operate in a capacity where they're never extending and never have a chance of breaking because they don't want to experience it. Yeah. And if they ever get broken, they don't come back. Some people fear failure so much yeah. to the point yeah. where they'll never push themselves. That's, what, what gonna, that's the only point when you're going to learn. Or in, And their fear of failure is so strong when they finally yeah. do fail, pack that shit up. Oh, oh yeah. God, don't like your, that. Your meat, your match, or anything else you have to do after that is done. You're yeah. over. You're mentally so, checked out. So uh, yeah. let's get to the point where Char- so Charlie Dixon gets introduced to powerlifting and it says, oh, wow, oh, I think I might like this sport. So when you start, when you get introduced to powerlifting um, and you're doing Candidos, did you ever approach Candido for coaching or you just took those free templates off the internet? I just took the free templates off the internet. Um, I think I might have reached out to him a couple times for uh, his form check service. Um, it's funny looking back at those videos now, man. They, they look absolutely terrible. I actually <laughs> messaged Johnny. I messaged Johnny about it uh I guess uh, a few weeks ago, and it, they look atrocious. Oh, jeez! Um, <laughs> you know, it'd be funny. It'd be funny if Johnny message back, "Give it up, kid. Go back to wrestling. Yeah. You don't have a future here." What's up now? It's one of those stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, who did you start? And when you finally started, like you got coaching eventually, right? Yep. And who did you? How did you end up finding your coach then? And who is the coach that you found? So. In my uh, second year of competing, so it would have been 2015, is when I uh, did my, I guess, second USAPL meet. It was in Northern Virginia. And uh, my coach, Brad Collier, he was uh, one of the judges there. Mm. And uh, I remember going into that meet. I uh, just went in. I think I went eight for nine or nine for nine. I actually hit my last deadlift. Uh, that was like one of the only beats I ever hit the last deadlift. But uh, he came up to me afterwards, like, hey, man, you, you doing nationals this year? I was like, yeah, yeah. He's, he's like, you got a coach? I was like, no. And uh, he offered, uh, offered his hand. And 
we have been working together ever since. Um, and man, it's, he, he's absolutely incredible um, when it comes to movement. Um, and also just as a mentor, you know, he's introduced me to a lot of great people. He's always been th- by my side through all the ups and downs. Um, and, you know, he, he's become a great friend. So I'm really grateful that I was able to uh, meet him and have him in my corner. Um, he's definitely had a huge impact on my lifting and I wouldn't be here without him. So when you started in 2014, where were you? Like what weight class were you in at this point and competing in? And your numbers. And your numbers, yeah. yeah. So, okay, so when I first got into powerlifting, I used to watch a lot of the animal cage videos like Brandon Lilly, Dan Green, um, all that type of stuff. So I think Brandon Lilly, he hosted a USPA meet in Kentucky um, in May of 2014. That was my very first meet. Uh, I competed at 181, and I think uh, I squatted 535. I benched, it was around around 3. I can't remember it was. 310 or somewhere in there it's like around 310 and then deadlift was uh 550 so it's around a 1400 total and how old were you at the time 18. oh damn that's pretty good so no. your squat was very strong like you're squatting yeah. as much as you're deadlifting yeah which is yeah which is I mean, that's that's a balanced lifter i guess that's yeah well it's, i mean you're dead not your deadlift has shot way up since then yeah. obviously yeah but uh, so what were what were some of the main differences you experienced going from the Candido programming to the actual coaching when the guy took you on like this, does your coach, was he, a, he wasn't a distance coach. He actually sees you in the gym or is it more distance coach watching videos? More, uh, more distance watching videos. Um, I think the main thing, uh, was technique and also fatigue management. Uh, uh so like I, yeah. like I said, you know, I would read Ron Candido's, program back to back no deloads whatsoever no like active recovery no rest and just beat myself into the ground and i think having a coach allows for more objectivity like knowing when to push things when to kind of dial things back i think that was a huge huge thing yeah when you were running candido's program on your own numbers like how were you deciding on what you were going to hit on a given day like were you doing kind of like an rp thing but self Prescribed or were you? Candido doesn't do RPE, does he? I think he's a he's percentage a, based percentage. Yeah. And do you do RPE now or do you do percentage based now? Uh, it's a little bit of both. Um, so, yeah, we can get into that if you want. So, sure. uh, since Worlds, um, we decided to bump up to the 93 kilo class. So, right now we're doing uh, squat three times a week, bench four times a week, and deadlift twice a week. Um, Jesus, you wept, man. You, you put that out there so casually. And me and Paul had a question of, was, what the I was fuck? Like, I was giving Brian, like, the, never, give me that, never give me that program look. Yeah. Dude, that, now, so you obviously upset your coach somewhere along the line, yeah. and he was offended. So speaking of fatigue, yeah, he's, he's going to put you up by a little bit of volume. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, um, yeah, let's get back in there. Sorry to stop you. No, no, you're good, man. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's great. I actually I enjoy all the volume he throws at me, man. It's uh, it's a wrestler in me, but um, so for we'll hit a top single uh, twice a week on squat and bench, and usually that's based off RPE. So that's usually between like a seven and an eight RPE, um, and then we'll hit uh, back offsets. Um, that's usually percentage based off of a training max. Um, and we'll do that and I'll rate like the last set RPE and we kind of 
uh, progress things from there week to week. In, in your uh, volume sets, what kind of sets would you do when it's volume? What you consider volume? Is it like sets of eight? Do you go into double digits? And how many of those sets would you be hitting? Yeah, so with uh, with volume, we uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, yesterday, I worked up to a single at, it was around 8 RPE, and then uh, backed off and did, it was like 445, uh, two triples, with a four second descent, mm. and then bumped the 465 two triples with a two second pause, and then 485 for three sets of seven. Um, wow. Yeah. So how long would these kind of workouts take you? <laughs> yeah, so last night I, uh, I got off work around five and it's an hour commute to the gym, so I got there around six. Uh, I started squatting at like 6.30, I got done at like 7.30, and then I did uh, some bench deadlift and deadlift work, so I got out of there like 9.30 Wow, so you did so. all that in an hour, that's yeah, pretty quick. That's a lot of weight and a lot of reps to bang through in an hour. So here's the thing though, if you stay on your RPEs, you can go as quick as quickly as like, for instance, some people, and when I say some people, I, I'll even say myself as well, I got in my heart. A certain number, I'm like, I don't go below this fucking number. This is the number I triple, right? Yeah. So if I gotta take a 10 minute break to get my energy levels back to be able to do that again, I'm gonna do it. Whereas other people, it sounds like possibly yourself, correct me if I'm wrong, you're like, look it, I'm gonna take a minute, two minute, whatever the shit break. I'm going back in there. If I gotta drop the weight, I drop the weight to keep the RPEs. Is that kind of the way, like, do you have, cause you can get emotionally attached to certain numbers and be like, this is, I don't go below this number. Or you just look, whatever the day brings me. And this, this is how quickly I want to move. And if I got to drop the weight to move this quickly, so be it. Yeah, I, I'd say it's a combination of both. So I definitely have that same thing. I'll get emotionally attached to a number a little bit. Uh, so last night I wanted to hit 620. Um, so I, I went into it and uh, my last warm up, it was like 595 flew up. So I knew it was there, so then I would take it. If that 595 ended up being my top set, like RPE, I would just stop there and wouldn't think too much of it and just hit the back offs. But um, I do like to have a general idea of what I want to work up to, but usually I kind of adjust it based on how that last warm-up uh, moves. And those back offs, do you have emotionally attached numbers? This is when you really get dicey. When you mm -hmm. start getting so emotionally attached to numbers, you got fucking back off way too late. You got fucking like, you got, you got like volume tens. You got like everything's that's, like. That certain number, that ceiling or that floor that you will never yeah, go below, like, regardless I, of how bad you grind. I, yeah, I will never drop low. It's like, listen, man, do, do you put numbers like that for back off weights as well? Or are you like, look, at a single, I'm going to aim for this, back off, it is what it is. Yeah, so uh, the back offs, he actually, per, uh, Brad, programs based off of uh, training max, so it's uh, percentage-based. Ah, uh, so... So that, that's kind of set in stone, Gotcha. So say. your single RP8, and then that will, percentage off that dictates where your back off's going to be, and it's no longer up to you to say, I feel it should be this. It's based off of that single you just hit, essentially. Yeah, yeah. And when you go in there, so here's another thing that I do as well that probably some listeners do. 
Do you fire yourself up for that single? Because the difference between, and for some people it's not big, L.S. McLean, the guy walks out there, smiles all day, hits, hits, an R, hits a PR, or myself, like I'm pacing like a motherfucker, my heart's beating like a son of a bitch, and then, uh, and then I go for my single, and it's an inflated single, right? So do you hype yourself up and take some pre-workout and push that single, or, or how do you approach your training? Oh, yeah. I, uh, I definitely get, uh, get hyped up. But it's, uh, I think one of the benefits of like working up so fast is that I'm not in that elevated state for very long. So while I'm hyped up, you know, the shirt comes off, I feel like I'm Rocky in the gym or something. <laughs> I'm just like getting after it. Um, I'll work up real quick, you know, I'll get amped up and then I'll hit it. I'll calm down and I'll hit my back off. Yeah. Um, and that's worked pretty well, I think, in finding that balance. Cause I do like to get amped up, man. It's, yeah. Well, There's nothing like that adrenaline rush. No, it's a whole different style of lifting. It's a whole different feeling. And let's yeah. talk about when you go in there with your shirt off. So when I would repost, the first time I repost you with your shirt off, and you are bodied up. We covered it in the intro. But you're a bodied up young man. Rip the shit uh, like you're, you're going to go on body boat. And I put posts and I say, warning, no fat shaming this kid. He's trying to better himself. And I think it would be obvious. You know, some people say in a text message, you can't tell if you're being sarcastic because it's because it's text. But if the kid in the video is fucking got a body like you do, you would think like obviously it's not a for real warning. Yeah. And some people are like, "Are you really fat? What are you talking about, fat? He looks he great. Looks he looks great. Like, no shit, he looks great, dude. If this dude is if this dude is chubby, we're in trouble. We're in fucking trouble, man. If he's chubby, I'm obese. Yes, man. No shit. And then some people totally get it. So whenever I post a video, they're like, I don't want to, you know, encourage this kind of chubby behavior. It's not athletic when a gentleman is this heavy and stuff like that. Or when I said you're going up a weight class, they're like, I don't condone him adding more weight. We shouldn't be encouraging this behavior. He's going up a weight class. Some people totally get it. But other people are like upset. They're like, you better apologize to this young man. He is trying to get himself in shape. It's like, motherfucker, I wouldn't leave my girlfriend alone with this guy for a second. This is, are you kidding me? Are you kidding? He, I, I'm, having, I'm having weird thoughts about this kid. He's bodied up, man. Are you fucking kidding me? I'm, He's trying to do something. <laughs> Watching his videos makes me wear two shirts and sweaters in the gym. Listen, listen to me. If this guy's in a pool, I'm wearing a fucking t-shirt. Yeah, do you I'm understand? I'm wearing a t-shirt. This guy hits the beach and everybody's putting on their t-shirts and telling their girlfriend to go get a fucking hot dog or something and take off for a minute. Oh, shit, people are worried about. Uh, people are worried about. Are you fat shaming him? No, man. Anyways, uh, I'm fat shaming uh, myself at this point. That's right. That's right. To make me feel better. That's right. So, anyways, got that out the way. Good. Yeah. We covered, We had to address that eventually. So, um, right. So, do you pace yourself in terms of uh, leading up to like the worlds and nationals, for instance? Would you be like telling yourself, do you ever cap yourself in terms of what you're going to do for certain numbers to make sure you peak yourself appropriately? Because it's a real easy to hit, get excited and start hitting some big singles early on. And then, you know, you, you can only hit big singles so often, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think I uh, learned that the hard way in yeah. some of my previous preps in the past. You know, you just get fired up. You're finally in a peaking block. You're starting to hit some heavy singles and things and you... You almost overshoot too early. You you ramp things up way too soon, and your performance starts to suffer. And like the, the a week out from the meet, you might get banged up. And I experienced that quite a bit. So 
Uh, my approach has definitely changed, and of course, having a coach definitely helps out with that. Um, so I like to think of approaching it almost like the Terminator, you know what I mean? Like, this is exactly what you need to do, right? We want to hit what we need to this week without overdoing it so that we can bring the thunder the following week yeah, when we yeah. need to, right? And just having that very methodical approach and not letting the emotions take over. And it comes back, you know, like we mentioned before, just staying in control of yourself and um, being able to see that bigger picture. Do you, sorry, you got a question? No, no, I was gonna say, like this, yeah, it, it's a great point because it goes back to the, what we were talking about, about getting really attached to certain numbers. Like, for example, your 661 deadlift in Worlds. Like you get attached to your well. If I'm going to do 661, I've got to do, you know, this bike. I've got to six, do six, six out. I got, I got to do 605 or 610 or something like that for a triple by three weeks out to pace myself for this. Do you ever do on the flip side? Uh, have you ever been in a situation where you're strong as shit, pretty far out, not crazy far out, but you're like, all right, I have never maintained this level of weightlifting, and what do you do when you're like? You're telling yourself, I don't know if I'm able to do this for six weeks straight, this heavy of singles, this heavy of, but it's here now and it's the true RPE. Do you, do you somewhat put a cap like, okay, I'm not gonna try to do squat in 600s for eight weeks straight because that might start bearing you? Do you start doing stuff like that? Being like, look, I'm gonna allow myself a month out to start being in the 600s for singles or do you have any kind of plans like that that you discuss with your coach? Yeah, yeah, so I think uh, around April, um, I worked up to like a double at 625 and it moved very, very fast. And I had that exact thought, you know, I have, because if you're constantly working that heavy for that long of a time period, your body, it has limitations yeah. and you're going to, yeah. you're going to find those out, you know, pretty quickly. So, uh, we, uh, we started to dial things back a little bit, um, towards, the end of April, beginning of May, and then the last, you know, about three weeks out, we started to ramp things back up again. So that just, that just came from experience, man. We we have been in that situation before where we start too early, we start peaking too early, it's going great, and then like a week out, like oh, I just like you have yeah. quad strain, you know? Yeah, I did so. Uh, I think if you do it long enough, everyone's probably experienced this too, especially doing RPE. I did the exact same thing, started smashing some big weights like eight weeks, two months out, and it'd be like, holy shit, if I'm doubling this now, imagine what I'm going to be doing, you know, a week out before the meet. And then you start getting emotionally attached to numbers that are completely, you got no business getting emotionally attached to. And it's like, listen, man. Have you ever in your life did eight weeks straight at that kind of weightage and then walk in there and not come back down, but you don't think like that sometimes. And that's when like me and Paul had the same conversation with his training uh, just recently. Yeah. He had hit, he was going into, so Paul's 74 kilo lifter, going into the 400s for a squat and in his singles, I'm like, how many times previously have you done in the 400s for back-to-back singles? He goes, and he's, he's eight weeks out. He's like, oh, I, I never have. And I go, you just squatted a single Four, in the 400s, he goes, oh yeah. It's like, well, I don't think if you've never done back-to-back, we're gonna do eight weeks straight of first hit. That's probably not gonna work out. So it's true where the difference between a straight-up template off online or having a coach would be, you have a conversation, the coach is probably gonna be not emotionally attached like you are, and he'll say, all right, let's readjust. I believe you that that single was RP8, but it won't maintain eight, so we'll adjust to now it's going to be a seven next week. Whatever it is, bring that back down. And then, you yeah. know, 
four weeks out, you probably you're you're good. Whatever. You could probably maintain. And you've been working with the same coach since 2015. You said right. Yep, 2015. Sorry, you go ahead. No, I was going to say, so I'm assuming at some point you guys have done the same thing. You've overshot numbers. You've overshot training. Like, how much has your meat prep actually changed over the course of those, like, three years? Yeah, just into this world. And a a follow-up number two part to that would be, how much does it mean to stay with the same coach so he knows you, you know him, and he knows Charlie? We can't be doing this eight weeks out. He, he knows your mess of cycle. He knows you come up six weeks and down, like, you know, so how, you, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, so that's the thing, man. That's, the longer you stay with the same coach, the better it gets, because they can see these longer term trends of how your performance is in these uh, different mesocycles, uh, peaking cycles, you know. Um, and we, we've had a lot of trial and error. Some things have worked really well, some things not so much. I think uh, one thing that's really helped is that decision to train at a higher body weight. Um, Because what we found was, you know, when I would stay around 187, 186 and train there, um, it's like my body almost couldn't take it. You know, like we would get into a peaking phase. I couldn't go like more than like two or three weeks at that intensity without something coming up, whether it's like my quad gets strained, my back, you know, feels, you know, messed up. So, I think that was one of the bigger changes. Um, I think we started doing that for nationals last year, uh, training at around 193 to 195. Just, you know, the recovery was a lot better. And um, I think uh, managing fatigue and taking more more deloads and kind of listening to um, my own body uh, during, uh, during prep has really come a long way as well. When you say deload, um it's not, is it like a week almost entirely off or do you mean RPs drop to like a six or a seven type deal? Is that one? Yeah. 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 Let me clarify that. So the intensity stays, drops a little bit. So maybe like 10%. It's the volume. That's the main thing. So the volume is uh, what's coming down. So we'll almost cut that in half and that, that'll really shoot recovery back up, at least uh, in our experience okay. with that. So 195, so I was saying before on some of these posts, like you, you at 5'11", 195, you are a monster 83 kilo lifter. Like a big 83 kilo lifter. How much, it, uh, yeah, like for sure, um, and that's why you gotta be so diced up by the time you get in there. So how many calories would you be eating to be like 195 when you're like hovering around that range? I would uh, maintain around between 3,000 and 3,200. Uh, right around there, and my, my weight would stay pretty consistent uh, between 193-195. And so when it came time to um, doing your cutting, how would that last week, like how would your cut be if it was nationals? Are you a mm-hmm. week out, 195-193, and then you start water loading, or just a procedure, like how probably the world's biggest 83 kilo guy makes 83 kilo? Alright, so nationals last year, I competed on a Thursday. Uh, the Saturday night before, so that's what, like five days out, roughly. Um, I had like a, a lot, I ate like 5,000 calories that day. It was like my last big feeding. So that night I was, uh, I woke up the next morning like 200 pounds. Holy um, shit! <laughs> Jesus, you're living a life! Just to throw in a little bit of added stress. Yeah, so yeah, you're five weeks out, you're like 200 pounds. So how, what, what was this 5,000 calories looking like? 
Like what kind of also, food did you eat? It's, that's a lot. This is like a last meal for a party. That is literally like you're dying tomorrow, son. Yeah. What do you want to eat? You go hog. <laughs> what, what did you eat? I, I think I ate a, a bunch of pizza. I think I had my normal meals and then I ate like almost the full pizza. I think that's what it was. Yeah. Um, just a lot of sodium, a lot of carbs and things. But uh, I woke up the next morning, lots of water retention. Uh, so I started water loading, I guess that Sunday. So drinking like two, three gallons of water um, and also loading sodium. So getting uh, roughly like five grams of sodium. Um, and I would do that, I think up until uh, Monday or Tuesday and then at that point uh, would drop the sodium so bring it down to like less than a gram um, and also I would alter the foods that I was eating so I would eat very calorie dense foods like peanut butter um, protein bars and uh, like uh, even like some candy and things uh, just because it's very calorically dense so I was still eating like you know 2800 calories or so um, but the actual volume of the food was a lot lower. And I also reduced my carbs to like below 200 grams, which is pretty significant for me. Um, and my fiber intake was like less than 10 grams. So that, that's the main, main thing. You start out really high with the water, the sodium, and then you cut out the sodium, cut out the carbs, cut the fiber down, switch to more calorically dense foods. And then, um, I think the the day before that Wednesday I flew out, um, I had my last meal at noon and I didn't eat or drink for like 36 hours. Wow, wowzers. And uh, did yeah. eat as well? So you had no calories in you for 36 hours? Uh, 36, yeah, it was, it was like, it was at 28 hours, about 28 hours. I had like, uh, I think I had some Pop-Tarts because I, I was a little, um, below weight because I was competing in the prime time, which actually worked to my advantage so I could like cut weight all day um, type of thing. So I was a little undersized some Pop-Tarts or something like that, but. And how do you feel? Because I know mentally when I cut, and I don't cut nearly as much as that, in the lowest point of the cut, you feel like shit. And you're like, oh, like it doesn't matter how many times you do it in your life. You're like, holy shit, I feel bad. I hope I really don't feel like this by the time I'm lifting. If you go, you know, 28 hours, 36 hours, whatever, without water or food, how bad is it? For some people who don't know, some people are listening and they don't understand at all. How bad do you feel at the worst of it? And mentally, what are you thinking knowing you gotta lift? Yeah, so I think one thing that's worked to my advantage is just the mental approach to it. And it's one of those things where I take ownership of it. It's like, I signed up for this. To, to do this meet at this weight class and you know I have nothing to complain about this is exactly what I signed up for and I'm just doing my job and uh, you know I would have like some caffeine like uh, take a few caffeine pills and I would feel I would feel fine and uh, you know it was my first time flying uh, down to Orlando so I was just enjoying the entire experience man um, you know I was talking to people having a good time the night before uh, I was checking weight, I was like 189 uh, that night before, yeah, so I was like 20, 20 hours out, and I, I just, it's rough, especially, I think uh, it's like 3 p.m., and I'm like two pounds over, um, and, I, you know, getting in the hot tub and sitting there for, you know, an hour and then trying to get out, feel like you're about to pass out, it's, it's rough, 
it, it takes a lot of mental fortitude. But I think if you can stay calm and stay in control of your thoughts and realize you put the training in, you put the time in, you, you can just stay relaxed. And if you can manage that anxiety and that stress, I, I don't think it, it'll affect your performance as much. Because uh, cortisol levels are near stress, make you actually retain water, which makes it, yep. a lot of times, people make it harder on themselves. Is there any points, though, when you're feeling as bad as you are, like you're, you feel like you're on death's door and you're like, holy shit, what if the strength doesn't come back by tomorrow? Like, it's not a lot of time, right? Do you ever get like, or do you just completely trust the process and be like, look, I've been here before, everything's going to be okay? I completely trust the process, and I think that just comes through through experience and uh, doing it, you know, so much. Even with wrestling, you know, I have a lot of experience, you know, four years worth through high school of doing that, and uh, it's one of those things. You know, you put the work in. You know, you put the time in. That that was the first meet. I was first or second meet. I was pretty much injury free. You know, I was just excited to be there. Um, I was excited to be on that platform and to have that moment. And I was extremely grateful for it. And, uh, you know, I just, it's one of those things you're going to, you're going to compete and you're going to perform how you're going to perform. You know, it's almost out of your control at that point. It's autopilot. You just let it happen. Don't get in your own way. And you just let go and you just trust the process. And, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, so did you start doing, did you start cutting for weight class right from the get-go, like from meet one? Or did you do a bunch of meets before at just coming in, weighing whatever the hell you weighed that day, feeling great, eating, and then kind of decided, okay, I've reached a point, now I'm going to start trying to take it? Uh, I think I cut for my first meet even, like two or three pounds. I was walking around like 184. But, to okay. your, but he'd been cutting as a, sure. a wrestler for years. Yeah. It's a little different. Like, yeah. Oftentimes when someone's first getting into powerlifting, it's like, don't cut, you might not. Like it's a whole another fucking variable. But I mean, if you're coming from a sport with weight classes, and you've been doing it forever, you can't really be too cut, you don't know what it's like. It's like, no, no I've sure. been, I cut for like four months straight wrestling, so it's a little bit different, yeah. right? <laughs> but, but a huge takeaway I'm getting from you is experience, and once it's happening, trust the process, and it is what it is. Like don't, uh, like your work is done, and you gotta like, focus on the variables in front of you. Absolutely, and uh, the last part to that is you're gonna be less stressed if you're able to do that, right? So when you step off the scale, it's gonna be a lot easier to put that weight back on if you're not stressing out about, you know, what if I miss this, my, miss my opener because I cut too much weight and you're worrying about all these things. I'm just sitting in the corner, chill, man. Like, I put some good music in. Uh, we got like an extra 30 minutes, so we got two and a half hours that night, so. I think I was back up to like 195, 196 when I actually stepped on the platform. Which makes you a monster. Yeah. So there's the next follow-up question is, how do you put it back into your body? Immediately off the scale, uh, I'll chug like one and a half uh, Pedialytes. Um, just like a, an electrolyte drink you, you give to infants. Um, and then I'll drink, uh, I'll start drinking a gallon of water and by you know 30 minutes in, that'll be finished. Um, or close to finished. Um, I, I, I like to eat like uh, pop tarts, pretzels, uh, bagels, um, candy. Pretty much uh, simple digesting carbs, sugar, uh, minimal fat. Just because it, may, it takes longer for the food to digest and to get in your system. And uh, try to 
keep protein, you know, minimal to moderate, not too much protein. Um, just mainly refueling with uh, simple digesting carbs and uh, getting the fluids back in and a shot of soy sauce. Oh, a shot no. of soy sauce. What's the yeah. shot of soy sauce? Just for the salt? The, yep, for the salt. Yep. Yeah, no kidding. Help retain so, some of that fluid. So by the time you lift, you are like a huge, like 195 to 187 is absolutely massive. And how much does that help? So you were saying too, with these, uh, with the prime time, some of those go way late. Like by the time you deadlift, you're like a 120 kilo lifter. <laughs> they're, like, they're, like, they're like, what the fuck is Dennis Cornelius doing out there? Yeah. Who is that guy? <laughs> Who is that guy out there? People are like, am I in the wrong flight? What the shit is this guy in here for? What the but uh, so what was the, uh, I think, was it the Arnold Classic that you hit 765? 765. Did you hit, what's your biggest total at 83 kilos so far? Oh, uh, you're talking total. I thought you were like saying a 765 squat or something. No, no, your total. Yeah, what was the biggest total you would hit? Um, at Nationals. Was it that? Was that Nationals? Yeah, my biggest total was at Nationals. It was uh, 1680. I'm not sure what that is in kilos. I think it is um, 65. Because going into the nominations yeah. of the Worlds, you were a runaway favorite for sure. Um, like a monster 765 total. And um, so going into Nationals, or sorry, going into the World Championships, was the game plan kind of keep it tight? Because you went 9 for 9, didn't miss the lift, and basically anybody going against you needed you to, to mess up big time or have a really shitty water cut itself. Yeah. So was it, what was your mental prep going into the world championships? Was it actually easier than going into nationals? Oh man, it, I think it was the exact same. I, the process didn't change. You know, I, I tried to ignore the competition in a lot of ways uh, because it's, it, again, it just comes back to it's out of your control. You're going to hit what you're going to hit. You know, if you show up to every training session, you give it your best. Um, you know, you focus on your recovery, you're getting enough sleep. You do all those little things right. It doesn't matter what the competition does. You know, I'm, I'm there to execute my game plan. And that's exactly what we did. You know, we stayed injury free. We uh, trained appropriately and we just went in and I, I was calm. I was focused and I was able to go out and have one of the funnest and one of the best performances in my life. Uh, this is my first nine for nine meet, and uh, oh, it was incredible. Oh, really? Yeah, if ever you got to yep. pull a nine for nine yeah. out when the whole world's watching, throw a nine for nine yeah. at the world championships, and afterwards you were like beyond happy. What if, when you realize, holy shit, I'm IPF world champion, like what's running through your head at that point? It, it's, it's hard to put in the words, man. Like, it, it's, it's one of those things you've been working for it for so long. I can remember being in my college dorm as a freshman and kind of looking at the mirror and be like, I'm going to be a world champion one day. It was, it was right around when Brett Gibbs had won in, uh, I think, South Africa, was it? It was around that time. It was, I always wanted to be an IPF world champion. And that moment, it was one of the happiest moments in my life. And, you know, I, I'm just grateful for everyone who has supported me along the way and uh, for everyone who's... Uh, played a role in that and I'm extremely grateful and it, it still hasn't you know quite sunk in um, it's uh, it's, a, it's an incredible feeling when you get like tagged in posts if we repost we're like IPF world champion Charlie Dixon now it still feels kind of weird like holy shit 
This is real now. Yeah. That's it. From here, yeah, like, like, twenty years from now, that's it. Like they can have other champions, but it's like it's like the president. Okay. Whenever you see the president, you call him Mr. President, even if he's not the president anymore. You're always a world champion now. That's it. You know, that's always going to be attached to your name. That's yeah. the champ right there. Looking ahead, though, uh, what goals do you have now? So you're going to move into the 93s? Yep, moving up to the 93s. And uh, the next uh, next goal, probably compete at Raw Nationals in uh, Spokane. I think that's the, the next meet. And what are you eating now? Like, What are you doing to move into the 93s that's different than having to maintain at 195 pounds all year? So definitely eating a lot more. Um, right now I'm averaging between like 35 and 4,000 calories. Uh, some days a little more. Um, I'm up to about 202 pounds at this point. Okay, so you're um, pulling it out. Yeah, Close yeah. To the top. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Training-wise, uh, of course, you know, I mentioned we do, we're doing uh, some higher volume work. Also add in uh, some more bodybuilding accessories. So for the bench press, for example, we'll hit uh, the top single, we'll hit some back offsets, and then maybe like uh, some dumbbell incline bench, overhead pressing, uh, dips, triceps, uh, leg press for the lower body, uh, split squats. Dude, you're um, like, doing everything, holy smoke. Almost, uh, almost yeah. squatting four times a week, benching four times a week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you do variables of, of uh, like you're doing like split squats, etc. Do you ever do, and, and pause squats? Um, it sounds like you do like so many variables. When you get closer to peaking, do you kind of do more competition style or do you keep a lot of those variables in there? Right, so since we're a little further out and I am making that jump to 93, we want to include some, some more of those accessories to put on more muscle mass. Uh, when we do jump into a peaking phase, we'll most likely cut a lot of that back and the accessories will mainly be like the squat bench and deadlift, uh, maybe some variation like some pulse squats and things, pin press, and then uh, for, uh, for the lower body, maybe like some lighter split squats, uh, some RDL, some single arm bench, just because those things you naturally can't go as heavy and can't do as much damage as something like a leg press. Did you say single arm bench? Yeah, I wanted to touch, touch on that as well. <laughs> like, yeah. not a dumbbell, a barbell? Oh, uh, no, dumbbell, dumbbell. Okay, I'm pissed! Holy shit! Whoa! This guy is Superman! A single arm bench would have been phenomenal! Now I half wish I didn't correct you. I wish I didn't even ask. Just so everyone listening is like, Oh shit! Yeah, exactly! It broke down the myth! Anyways, that's pretty cool. So, uh, when you first go into 93 kilo, is the objective, because at 765, 83 kilo, what are you hoping to get early on? And is it kind of like a three-year project? Because I think, uh, I mean, 83 kilo, obviously, you got Ellis McLean in there. Um, and here's, mm -hmm. a, here's the thing that comes to U.S. Raw Nationals. You guys have, like, almost, like, world-class at your Nationals. Like, your yep. second and third place guy could easily represent... Well, here it is right there. Ellis McLean was a fourth yeah. alternate and, and yeah. has never won a Nationals, actually, and he's a two-time world champion. Just to let you know how... Not to fucking rattle you here. What am I doing? I was going to say... But, 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 I say he made it in But how competitive is U.S. Raw Nationals when a guy who's never fucking won can still win the world? Like, you guys got, like, yeah. crazy what you have to... Well, and you don't even have guys like Justin Norris competing right now. Yeah, and so I'm wondering if you have him come back and it's... So what's what is really your 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 game plan for is this in terms of next year and next like five years because you have the advantage of being so young with five years 
LS mm-hmm. is, is an old guy like me, he'll be like 65. Yeah. Um, but because <laughs> we're, we're different, we're born in the 70s. But which kind of your your next five years looking like? Us, uh, first off, LS is an awesome guy. Um, oh, I, I love think that. Arnold a few years ago. We were, he, he talked me up before, like, my third squat man. I absolutely love that guy. Yeah. Um, you meet him in person, he's, a, he's extremely nice. He's extremely down to earth. Um, just an incredible lifter, an incredible person no, all around. Well, um, every time I'm in IPF Worlds or at one of those events, LS is one of those dudes at the banquet. We're hanging out. If I'm going to sit at the yep. table, LS, like whoever is not just lip service, the guy is seriously one of the nice guys in the sport. And you could be competing against him, the guys on the side of the platform cheering for you. Yeah. I'm like, he's like, yeah, yeah. you see, you see that every time he competes. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So it's one of those things, man, you know, being a world champion and all that, you know, I never was big into the titles and things. It's nice to have, but. I do this because I love doing it. I love the training. I love showing up to the gym, turning my music on and lifting weights. Like I've always loved doing that. Um, I, it makes me a better person. It, it allows me to you know, serve other people better. And that's really what I, I've been in, in this sport for. You know, it's to, to grow as a, a human being. And um, as far as the lifting, you know, I, I just, I mainly focus on what I can do in the gym. I just focus one day at a time, and I let the numbers kind of take care of themselves. You know, um, we'll we'll see what's there. Nationals this year. You know, if I'm competitive, great. If not, I, I'm still going to be training. I'm still going to be at the gym. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so whether it's next year, five years from now, you know, I do want to eventually become a 93 kilo open world champion. Uh, so. We'll see, man. That's that's the next goal. So, whether it happens a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now, I'm still going to be getting after it and working towards it. So, and you're, you can uh, hang your hat on that. You're 24 years old. 22. 22. Jesus. Yeah, still a junior. So you're still a junior. Yeah. So are you going to yeah. lift into juniors next year then? I uh, I'll be competing as a junior at nationals and in the open. Uh, my IPF eligibility as a junior is done though. So, uh, okay. Uh, okay. yeah. So at 22, because I just I think LS is one year older than me, so he's 40. So I'm just saying, like in terms of an LS peak right now, like he's peak, he's world champion now. So you could picture at 22, like yeah, you might yeah. as well not have to worry about I need to do this for the next couple years. years to gain strength. If you peak like LS peak, you could be 40 years old and still killing yeah. it. I mean, who the hell knows what's gonna happen by then? I mean, the whole the whole landscape could be changed by the time you hit your prime, if, you know, and you could still be a champ at 40. And that happens. That's the beauty about our sport, right? We have guys who are like, um, you have like a John Hack, who's a junior winning the Open, and then you've got guys who are like masters or like fucking M2s or yeah. M3s. Well, like, you got guys like Dave Ricks, Dave still, Ricks. still coming in and still just killing Breaking world players. records. We, we have everybody. Who, who are some of the people that you take inspiration from who, who are lifters? Uh, John Hack, definitely. Um, I took a lot of inspiration from him. Uh, Brett Gibbs early on, like I mentioned, uh, I think I was introduced to him through Candido's channel. Um, so, you know, it was Gibbs early on. Then, of course, John Hack came along. Um, I was really big into, like, Dan Green and, uh, you know, a lot of those guys um, when I first started. Um, of course, Ellis McLean, uh, just a phenomenal guy, phenomenal lifter. Um 
Bryce Lewis is another good one. He, yeah. He's absolutely yeah. incredible. Had an awesome performance yeah, uh, at Worlds. Mr. Consistency. Uh, one of the five world That's what I did. So when I was doing the commentary, uh, I think it was mixed 2017, I first said he's Mr. Consistency. That cat, yeah. he's, like, for some lifters, you have the guy, for instance, like uh, Blevins, who's, like, big bench, big squat. But then um, he'll fall behind on the deck by his own, own accord. And then you have uh, Mr. Deadlift, Rebecca, who's huge deadlift, but somewhat pedestrian, and the other one's like solid, obviously. But then you have like a guy like Bryce Lewis, who right across the board competent. He could come in first or second in all three events. You know, if, if the guy who's yeah. probably the best in that event has an okay day, okay, Bryce is going to take the number one in that one. And he's like Mr. Consistency. And he's another guy, he's another guy that has no problem dialing back. He just goes for whatever he's got to do to get. He, even his, his approach when he's in there is calm, cool, collected. Like, yeah. he doesn't get yeah. really amped up. When you, when you compete, do you get, like, when you're backstage, are you trying to be as cool as possible and save it for a platform to get amped up? Yeah, and that, that's something I learned over time as well is energy management uh, backstage, kind of managing your energy, knowing when to ramp things up and when to ramp things down. So after I hit my last warm up, I'll throw on my headphones and I'm just relaxed, man. I'm just chilling in the chair. And then when Brad tells me to, to strap things on, get the uh, get the belts on, it, it's game time. Um, my mind's just completely focused on what I need to do. And, you know, I, I let go of all that anxiety. I let go of um, all those spots. You know, where, where, where do I stack up against the competition? I just let go of all of that. And I live in the moment. And it, it frees me to just go out and execute. And when you yeah. come off that platform, do you stay? Because it's a long day. Even after, like, the first mm -hmm. squat, do you bring it back down after the lift? And then ramp back up when you hear your name, you're in the hole or on deck or anything like that. Like, what do you do in between? Do you do, do you actually do, because some people do active things to ramp themselves up, but they don't do active things to calm themselves down. For some people, it's hard to calm down, to be like, all right, yeah. I got to relax a minute. Do you do anything like that? Yeah, so uh, when I come off the platform, like after the first squat, I'll put my music back on. I'll, I'll walk around a little bit, take some deep breaths. I uh, kind of just calm my body down. Um, I, I do that for a couple minutes and then I'll sit back down and uh, just relax until, you know, we're about three, two or three lifters out. And then uh, I'll, I'll put on some uh, Lamb of God or Kill Switch yeah. or whatever it is, man. And, uh, Lamb of God and Kill Switch. Kill Switch. I swear, I shit you not, I thought you said Taylor Swift. I was like, get the fuck out of here. Taylor Swift. <laughs> <Taylor, no, that's laughs> Lamb of God, Taylor Swift. What? That, that's my choice of music. That's, right. that's, yeah. that's what it's bench, anyways. Um, okay, so we had you for, like, this is, we're getting an hour 20 here, but before we let you go, I got a question that we always ask everybody. Someone asked it, but kind of not really. I always like to ask when all is said and done, you know, you're, you're a 70 year old man at the bar having a beer and you look back on your career, how do you want to be remembered? That's a tough one when you're 22 years old. Yeah. And just legally able to drink a year ago. Yep. <laughs> I want to be remembered as this guy who never quits. And no matter what the circumstances are, no matter how bad things get, that guy never quit. 
he just keeps going. And I think that resonates with me because, like I mentioned, uh, my brother Steven was a Green Beret. You know, he's went through a lot of things in his life, and he's seen a lot of things. And he would never quit. And even to this day, you know, he, he deals with some, uh, some of that trauma and things, and he never quits. And I want to be exactly like that with all the things that he's been through and all the struggle, he just keeps going. And that's the same mindset I carry with me every single day, no matter how tough the training gets, no matter how stressful life may seem, whatever it is, I'm never gonna quit and I'm gonna keep going forward. That's how I wanna be remembered. For anyone who doesn't know, like uh, to become a Green Beret, the training, and just to be selected, like, good luck. It's fucking, you know, like, the, you're, he's got to be, in terms of never quit, like, shit, man, you, you hear stories of how hard it is to become a Green Beret. What he would have had to have gone through in terms of testing to make it through, we're talking the elite of the elite of the elite and push yep. to the fucking limit like you don't know. And then, and that's just, yeah. the, that's just to make it. And now you become yeah. a Green Beret and now see what you got to go through. Um, well said, sir. You're mature, 22 years old. I'm glad we had you on. Anybody you'd like to thank, sponsors, anyone before we let you go? Uh, yeah, man. Thank, thank you guys for bringing me on. It was a blast. Uh, I, I really appreciate the, the opportunity. Uh, you know, shout out my coach, Brad Collier. You're the best. Um, SBD USA for uh, hooking me up with awesome gear as always. Um, and yeah, uh, all my friends and family, uh, all the the folks that I uh, do coaching for, you know, everyone who's been there for me since the beginning. I uh, love you guys. Thank you. And uh, yeah, man, that's um, all I got. Okay, sounds good. Thank you for your time, man. Much appreciated. Uh, you're a hell of a guest. We'd love to have you back for sure, 100%. And uh, good Absolutely. luck with your training. Thank you. Thank you. Y'all take it easy. Thank you. You too. Wow, he is a fucking mentally tough kid for his age. No, he is... So composed for a 22-year-old yeah. lifter. He's mature as shit. Yeah. And the thing is that, like, um, so I'm starting to see a pattern here, man. When you're talking to some of these guys, like we're talking to Luke Richardson, I think it was me and uh, Randy, but yeah. still, um, they were like 14, 15, and way deep into sports, like yeah. training like a well, son that's what you're seeing more and more. It's these, like, D1 athletes, like these top high school and college athletes are coming yeah. into the sport now that have yeah. been trained since they were young kids. Not, not only that, they're the freaks. Yeah. But the, like, when I think of myself when I was 15, 14, 16, I didn't have the discipline. I didn't no. want it like that. They, and, and you have to be self-motivating. Like, when people ask and they see guys like that and they think, well, I could do that. Ask your fucking self if that's really you. Be yeah. honest. Like, it's way fewer than people think. People come in and look how quickly until I could be on the national team. How quickly until probably maybe never. And this is just another good point. Like you talk to so many new people in the sport that want to be on the national team in year one or year two. Yeah. They're thinking, oh, so and so came in and first year competing. No, that guy's been competing since he was twelve. Yeah, he, he might not. Have... He's not in powerlifting, but he's yeah. been competing at different levels of sports. Getting up at six a.m. and training. Yeah, and went to the gym different. after school to train again. Like it is. For 
fucking team. Yeah. He's cutting weight at 14. Yeah. He's lifting weights. He's putting hours. He's got goals. He's competing at a level, dealing with anxiety. He's, he's coming back from tearing a meniscus in his knee. At like, four fucking team. You know what I'm saying? He's and got he's meniscus tears at 14. And not just coming back from it. He's researching on how to get better and how to improve and how to take Let me that next step. Let me tell you something. I go to school. If I tear my jeans at 14, I'm fucking upset and I can't go to school the next no, day. I'm, I'm, this guy's tearing I'm, I'm, I'm taking a week off school. Just That's right. Off. I'm so embarrassed. Oh my God, this is my favorite jeans. This kid's 14 tearing fucking muscles and stuff. These are, this is real life problems. So when he's, yes, when he's 22 years old, his work ethic and everything around it, he's composed. Whereas some people entering the game just clueless as to, like the level, it's almost like insulting when people think they could come in there and just rip shit up. Yeah. You know, it's a hundred percent. Yeah. And this is, there was a time when the sport didn't have guys like this yet because we're competing as a sport with other sports for, for you. For the, for the athletic youth, so you're going in different sports. And so there's a time when you could be, you know, 28 come in and all of a sudden bingo bank catch oh, real quick. But, and still can, some still can. But it's harder when you have this level of athlete, the yeah. talent pool. And you're getting, you're seeing that more and more now. Like you're getting those guys, like as Charlie said there, like where you want, you're practicing for these other sports and you're competing in these other sports, but you want to see how you stack up in terms of strength against everybody else out there. Yeah. And, and you're not getting that from any other sport. Well, that's the problem where you could train for another sport and, and you lift weights. Like when you're a power lifter, you have to go against every single person in the gym who's ever started putting on strength. Like, Let me see where I stand. Yeah. Like if you lift weights, you start getting strong, you can start asking those questions of yourself. Whereas nobody's walking around being like, oh, I wonder how far I could throw the fucking javelin. Yeah. It just doesn't happen. It does, no. you, you don't throw a piece of paper in the trash and be like, oh shit, I threw that pretty well. I wonder what I could do with the javelin. Or fucking, you hop over a puddle, I wonder what my fucking, uh, you know, my yeah. triple jump is or whatever. Exactly. You, when you're a power lifter, Anybody who goes to the gym starts getting close to 500 pounds squat. Now you got to deal with it. Oh yeah. Now he's wondering, and you got to deal with some guy that is walking to the gym. You can guarantee at some point in their time in there, they're, they're, si they're sizing up every other person in there to say, "Am I strongest here?" And, and you know, a lot of people they might not like anyone who shows some aptitude. Now that that now that's in their head, and with how big powerlifting is on social media, it's actually at the forefront. Whereas 10 years ago. Nobody was thinking powerlifting. You might think, I wonder how strong I am. Yeah. You don't even you don't even recognize there's a venue. Now with social media, the world champions just got 2.4 million people in the first week. God knows how many people now because they leave it up there. Yeah. It's on the forefront of their minds. We are competitive taking these athletic yeah. youth like Charlie Dixon. So it gets scary. You know, you got freaks of Charlie yeah. Dixon walks in there. It's only going to get more interesting as it, it goes on. And when you think you want it. Like, yeah, I want it bad. I'm a hard worker. And then you listen to a guy like Charlie Dixon talk. Oh, you good fucking luck. Yeah. If there's something on the table and he wants it, reach for that thing up from the table as well and see what happens, right? I Same with Luke Richardson who put in yeah. eight-hour days. He'll get off work and be there till 1 o'clock in the morning, seven hours. And, and he's like, that's how bad yeah. I want it. No, and I'm, a, I'm someone who loves the sport. But I sometimes get off work and I'm barely willing to drive five minutes to the gym. This guy's driving an hour to the gym, putting in three hours of workout, driving back, and, and he's we, going through that day in, day out. Like We, we opened up talking about, God damn, you know, it's getting hard to get in the gym after you've been drinking all yeah. day and partying. God, and there's Charlie Dixon, he's like, you yeah. do what? About 22 years old, I don't yeah. touch that stuff. I gotta get work done. But uh, yeah, I messed up. And then some people, you know, if you work, like you get a certain amount of volumes, like, oh shit, we got, like it is a lot of volume. Yeah. But then you hear guys like this, like, yeah, oh, I, I start. No, they, I start, they, 
I start wondering about my volume or what I did to piss you off when I hit <laughs> 120 total reps in a day. Yeah, but then when you get this, you're like, no, okay, okay, maybe I, I don't have it as bad as yeah. I think. Uh, but anyways, yeah, I love having guys like that on here. Um, I mean, you will have your genetic freaks who walk on here, started, and then three years later, they're world champions. That happens too. Yeah. Or start sports period lifting and whatnot. But um, it's it's harder. I think in like 10 years' time, those genetic freaks are going to be few and far between. Yep. Because they'll get weeded out. Yeah, genetics only take you so far. Work ethic is the rest. So. Yeah, and, and you kind of need a balance. Like our Vander Holy, yeah. love Vander Holy. He said, look, it, genetics get you so far. And then talent, like work ethic get you so far. Come across that cat who's got both, you're in trouble. Yep. If that's not you, you're in trouble. But as Charlie, who loves Rocky, and Rocky's my favorite movie. Funny, a lot of people say he looks like Sylvester Stallone when he lifts. Uh, yeah, I can see it. Now. When he's yeah. under pressure lifting, not as much as he's walking around. You know, squat face, deadlift face. Yeah. He turns into Sylvester Stallone for some reason. It's funny, though, but um, it, the, the Rocky situation is true as well. Where on any given day, as long as you're a grinder, you might not be as talented. But on that day, when talent fails the other guy because whatever science, the guy's having an off day. If you fucking hustled your ass and you stay in the pocket, that's the beautiful thing about sports. You know, where the underdog can win. Yep. And, but the only problem is I got a feeling Charlie's that fucking guy, too, though. Yeah, right. I, get, I get the feeling he's the type of guy. He's got both going. On. He's got all. He's got the trifecta going. Yeah. But um, anyways, beautiful podcast. We're gonna upload the Brett. By the time you hear this, Brett Gibbs will already be up. Um, we just mentioned Luke Richardson. One, listen to that podcast if you want to hear. Uh, with Brett, we talked about some of the politics and infiltrating his region in terms of uh, New Zealand, Australia, Oceania. Yeah. We talked about his training, talked about how he felt about the hack, Russell Lorheis yeah. in the world, and guys like Dixon coming We tried around. to recruit him to Team Canada. For oh, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. We, we pressed for the Team Canada recruitment, and we'll listen to it to hear if he's moving to Canada. He's going to be at our nationals representing Canada. Because if he is, watch your fucking ass rest of the world. Yeah. And then uh, Luke Richardson, fucking amazing interview with that kid. I mean, he's also, like, I say kid. Uh, when you're my age, and like, someone's t- early 20s. Uh, but anyway, really could be your kid. Except the fact that he's a well, giant. Except for the fact I gotta talk to my wife yeah. and be like, "Why does this guy look like whatever a fucking giant?" So, anyways, um, and and yeah, it'll blow your goddamn mind who he trains with and everything. Um, and then tomorrow we're gonna be interviewing Kevin Oak, who who's another beast. We yep. got a lot of questions running in from Kevin Oak. So, anyways, make sure you subscribe. Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, what the fuck have you, we're all over the place. Subscribe, give us high ratings, six-pack lap of that, Paul Marin's in, hope you liked it, six up, peace out.